Hey, good morning, Harvest. We're wrapping up our series this morning that we've called Encounters with Christ, and, and I love where we're ending. In fact, if you've got your Bible, go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be, starting in verse 24, and we're going to see an encounter that Jesus had with one of his disciples, a guy named Thomas. Now, if you grew up in church, you, you know this guy. He has a nickname that we've given him in church life, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. I think it's a bit unfair. I mean, we don't, we don't say about Peter. I mean, Peter denied Jesus. We don't call him denying Pete, right? But, but, but here's something I find interesting as we come to the story of Thomas here. You see, John writing this book, this, this gospel that he's writing for us, this, this writing about Jesus' life, and he comes to this encounter of John and he makes it the high point of his book. If, if this is a movie, this would be the climax of the movie, the ending scene. Chapter 21, it's like the epilogue. They, they would play that while the credits roll. But, but in chapter 20, it's the, the end of the story here. In fact, John says in verse 30 of this chapter, he says, man, Jesus did so many other things. Too many things that I keep even write down here. I didn't include them all. I couldn't cram it all in. But here's why I wrote this book. Look at verse 31 of John 20. He says this, I wrote this, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I mean, John's saying this, my, my whole purpose in writing this book, my thesis statement is that you would believe, that, that you would encounter Jesus and your life would be changed, that you would know him, that you would trust him, that by, by believing in him, putting your hope in him, you would have life in him. The whole purpose of this sermon series has been the same thing, that, that you would encounter Jesus and be changed. And so John here ends his whole book with Thomas, with Jesus coming face to face with our doubts. Jesus meeting our doubts head on so that we would believe and have life. Now, for some of you, you're listening, you're saying, man, this really isn't for me because uh, I don't have any doubts at all. I mean, you're the person who would say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Others of you, though, you're saying, well, that saying sounds cute and all, but man, it's not that simple. I've got some questions. I've got some doubts about all of this. And what you'll see as you dig deep into your doubts is that, that at its root, doubt has a lot of different causes. I mean, for some, you, you may have doubts because you never really dug very deep. And, and Jesus is just sort of that cultural, religious thing you're following because your, your parents brought you to church, so you went to church, but you, you never really asked the hard questions. You never studied for yourself, never sought out Jesus for yourself. And so with shallow roots, you come up against some hard questions and you begin to doubt. It might be you're doubting because you come against God's word and so often God's word disagrees with how you want to live. I mean, there was Aldous Huxley. He, he was famous for the book he wrote called Brave New World and, and he was pretty open about why he doubted the claims of Christ, why he doubted who Jesus was. He embraced meaninglessness as, as his worldview and here's what he said. He says, I did that because I wanted more freedom. I wanted what I wanted. And, and, and what happens is God kept disagreeing with Huxley and his lifestyle and his ideas. And so he became a skeptic and he started to doubt. For some, you, you drift. 
You make some choices, some small choices, some big choices, but over the series of those choices, you're, you're making these choices away from God, and, and eventually you are making choices like, I don't know if I really need to go to church. I don't know if I really need Christian community. I don't really know if I need to spend time in God's word. And you're making these choices, choices that start out small. Maybe it's little sin that you excuse and they grow into choosing things that a short time you look back at your life, you look at where you are and you're saying, man, how did I ever end up here? And after years, you find yourself so far away from Christ that, that you would say, man, I don't think I ever really believed. Sometimes doubt is like what we're going to see here with Thomas, where you face some trials, you face some hurt, you face some suffering. And, and oftentimes, suffering can draw us closer to Christ, but, but many times, suffering will, will push us away, and we begin to doubt. We begin to question. It, it can lead to disillusionment or discouragement or even bitterness and totally abandoning Jesus altogether. So often it's not just some general suffering that we experience that causes these doubts, but it's what one theologian I was reading this week says, he called it this, it's a religious disappointment. When a church or a Christian lets you down. I mean, you were all in for this, and then, then that pastor that you loved, he's exposed as a, a wolf in sheep's clothing or, or, or sin that he's had in his life. He's been hiding it for years. It's finally exposed. Or, or maybe that person you're, you're doing life with as a Christian, a leader, a pastor, and man, his sin just trips you up as you're on the receiving end of some of the little sins that they battle, and you begin to doubt. You're disappointed. Or, or maybe you, you jump into a new church and there's a buzz about that. There's an, an excitement about a new thing and you're all into this. And man, it's going to be different, man. We're, we're going to do true biblical community. We're, we're not going to make the mistakes that other churches make. And we're, we're going to be just like the New Testament church. And then real quick, we realize, dang, we are just like a New Testament church. And there's sin and there's struggle, and there's gossips, and mistakes are made with people, with leaders. Weaknesses are revealed. Hey, welcome to Harvest. Isn't that who we are as a church, right? You begin to doubt. Or you feel let down, not by a church, not by other believers. You feel let down by God. And you battle with sickness or mental health struggles or, or a broken relationship or, or a sin that you just can't seem to get past. And you say, God, I just don't know anymore. And so often it's that religious disappointment or that disillusionment with, with God that fuels our doubt. And so often it's about these unmet expectations. I wanted this. I thought it would look like this. And oftentimes our, our perception may not be bang on. What we were actually hoping for, the expectations we had weren't right expectations. I'm telling you, that's where Thomas was. We're going to ask this morning is this, what happens when my doubts encounter Jesus? You see, Thomas here in this text, he'd followed Jesus for three years. They were doing ministry together. He saw Jesus do incredible things. He'd been listening to Jesus. He'd been learning from Jesus, watching him perform miracles, watching him teach, hearing him pray, seeing him love people deeply. And we're to pick up the story now. Jesus is now dead. He'd been crucified, and it wrecks Thomas. 
He's thinking, Messiahs don't die. I mean, this was a Jesus who told hurricanes to be quiet and they stopped. He's the one who healed the blind. He raised the dead. How could he now be dead? And he's thinking, I thought that Christ was the Messiah. And I can imagine Thomas is thinking, I was scared when they arrested him. I was in fear when I saw him on the cross. But man, when, when I saw him die, that's when my heart died too. Maybe in that moment, Thomas is thinking, it's all been a sham. Look at verse 24. Here's where we're going to pick it up. Verse 24, it says this. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So, so he had seen Jesus died, but had not seen him resurrected. He had come and, and he had revealed himself, Jesus had, to the disciples at an at a earlier time. Thomas wasn't with them when that happened. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and my hand into his side, I will never believe. See, Thomas misses that first time when Jesus shows up. And, and I would say this, I, I don't think that Thomas was just too busy. It's, it's not like, oh, I just missed small group that week because I had something going on. Hey, hey, I missed church because we were out of town that weekend. I mean, listen to his very words, what he says. This is not someone just missing church and then someone saying, man, you, you missed a great service. You, you should check it out online, man. The, the sermon was so good. You're like, yeah, man, I'm going to do that for sure. I'll, I'll grab it on YouTube or the podcast. No, Thomas is not around because he's battling, drifting in unbelief. In doubt. You think about the season we're in right now as a church. I mean, it's harder than ever for us as Canadians, it's harder than ever for us to gather together as a church. I mean, we're not a persecuted church, all right, but, but it's, it's more inconvenient than it's ever been. And I've heard so much during this COVID season, this, this saying, right, the, the church is not the building, I mean, it's so true. The church is not just a building, but, but in the same way, I would say my family is not my house, but my family is us together as a family. The church is not this building, but, but the church is a people, listen, a people gathered. So let me encourage you this morning. Some of you, you have, you have such legitimate reasons not to gather together on a Sunday morning, not to gather together with other people. You're, you're in a at-risk category for, for the coronavirus, and I get it, or you work with or live with somebody in that category. I mean, I just praise God for those who are putting all that time and effort into to producing these worship at home videos so that you can still be in the word. You can still be blessed in that way. I mean, I want to encourage you, still stay connected. For others, I know those with young kids, it is so hard even to think of coming to church where there is not a kids ministry yet. And then, yeah, they'll, they have that, that HKTV where I could plug headphones into my kids' ears. But if you're, you're rocking it out with like a six-month-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, you're going, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Super hard. Now, we're, we're looking very soon to open up a Harvest Kids ministry again. That's coming really soon. I'm super excited about that. But listen, listen. I would say this, and I say this with a huge amount of love. If you're staying away from gathering together because you think masks are dumb, 
or, or, or you think a video recording of worship is a lame way to worship? If, if you're staying away because it's so much easier just to roll into my living room and, and give up an hour rather than giving up two hours to, to make it to church, if you're staying away because the drive to Huntsville's a bit too far, listen, if you're playing the, the Bracebridge versus Huntsville thing, man, I'm from Bracebridge. I'm not going to that church location in Huntsville. I'm not, I'm not going in that building. Listen, lovingly, I would challenge you. Church, let's regather. Don't miss out on what it means to be connected, to be a witness to our community, to, to be encouraged, to come and encourage others, to worship as one voice. Yes, a muffled voice behind a mask, but it's still, listen, awesome to be able to worship together, to be able to be sent out on mission together. Listen, our neighbors, are you sensing it? How desperate people are in this time for, for community, for an opportunity to be known, to be loved, to be seen. I mean, Thomas misses out. He misses out. Why? He's, he's pulled away from community. He misses Jesus in that. But he's got some great brothers and sisters around him. They're pursuing him. I love that. Look, look at verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. That word there, told him, in the original Greek, it gives the impression of told him and kept on telling him. Over and over again, bro, this is for real. We've seen Jesus. They keep pursuing after him. And he says, listen, listen, unless I see it from my own eyes, I will never believe. I don't care what you tell me. My experience right now, what I've seen, there's nothing you can say to me that will ever convince me to believe in Jesus. If you're taking notes, here's our first big point. Doubt can happen to anyone. Doubt can happen to anyone. Here we see Thomas as this discouraged doubter, but, but, but when we see who Thomas is, we gotta understand that we've seen Thomas before. This isn't our only glimpse into his life. In, in John 11, Jesus says to his disciples, hey, we're going to go back to Judea, to Bethany, because Lazarus has died, and I want to go see him. And the disciples in that moment, they're going, are you kidding, Jesus? Last time we went there, it did not turn out so great for you. They want to stone you there. And it's Thomas that says, hey, let's go, and we'll die with him. That's Thomas. How, how does he go from death wish Thomas to doubting Thomas? Because Thomas' world is rocked. I mean, doubts come in. I mean, for you, where do you see doubt creeping in? Where, where do you see your world right now shaken? Listen, Thomas was loyal. He was committed. He was devoted. He walked with Jesus for three years, hearing him, listening to him, seeing him heal, witnessing things beyond comprehension, and yet he still doubted. Moments of doubt always come. Man, I see this in my own life. Man, I begin to doubt when I see sin creep up again. Sin, I'm like, man, I've been battling with this for so long. I've been wrestling with this. Doubts creep in when I look and see, Jesus, how come you don't work this out in my marriage, in my family? How come you're not doing this in our church? 
And I start to question, Jesus, how come you're not working things out the way I think they should be worked out? And I start to doubt. But let me encourage you, if you're in doubts right now, if you wrestle with doubt, you're in the company of people like C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Luther. I mean, Martin Luther, he, he wrote this in a deep battle with depression. He said this, I was close to the gates of hell. I trembled in my body. Christ was wholly lost. I was shaken by desperation and blasphemy of God. Listen, doubt began in the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve, they, they doubted God's goodness and it stalks us still today. You read through the Psalms filled with verses about doubt. The book of Job, a whole book about doubt. You, you look at Lamentations and one of the greatest prophets writes this book of Lamentations, a book about doubt. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, in Romans 8, he talks about having this assurance. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. But it says right there in verse 36 of chapter 8, we, we miss it. It says, we're being killed all the day long, like sheep being led to slaughter. Paul, in that moment, quoting from Psalm 44, where the psalmist is crying out to God in doubt of God's care, saying, God, you're the one causing this. I mean, let's start here in this encounter with Thomas and Jesus and in our very own encounter with our doubt. Let's be honest with God. You got to understand something. This is Thomas in a small group of brothers and sisters. He's, he's come to Wednesday night small group and he's saying, guys, I don't know anymore. Let me encourage you, church, let, let's not play games with each other. Let's be honest in church. Thomas is, Thomas is honest here. He's saying, man, I'm not getting duped this time unless I see his hands, unless I see his side. I saw him nailed to the cross. I saw the spear go into his side and blood and fluid pour out. If, if you bring me some dude who looks a little bit like Jesus, but I don't see those scars on him, man, don't even bother. Do you hear the honesty? Do you hear the desperation? Another week goes by after Thomas says this, and he's with them again. I, mean, I like that. Thomas hasn't bailed, all right? He, he's still getting the weekly newsletter in his email box, all right? He, he's still following the Facebook and Instagram feed, okay? Look at verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Thomas is still there. He hasn't ditched it. His friends, this is what I love, his friends haven't ditched him as he doubts. I mean, let me challenge us as a church. Let's not drop those who are doubting, those who are struggling, those who are wrestling. Maybe this morning you're the Thomas in this story. Let me encourage you, keep showing up. Keep pressing in. I find the, the more steps I take in faith, trusting in Jesus, the more, the more my faith finds a foothold. Thomas is still there. He, he didn't run away. He hadn't pushed them away. Here's our second, our last point is this. The cry of doubt becomes a shout of worship. The cry of doubt becomes a shout of worship. Now here's the thing, Thomas gets this bad rap, all right? But look what's going on here in verse 26. They're all huddled together. The doors are locked. Everyone is scared. I mean, 
Everyone in that room had doubts. Everyone in that room was unsure what the future would hold. They're hiding out and Jesus shows up. I don't know how Jesus does this. It just says, boom, Jesus was there. Doors are locked. Jesus shows up in the room. And what's he say? He says, peace be with you. Now, he says the exact same thing when he sees them in verse 19, in verse 21. He says, peace be with you. Now, you could, you could say, well, he's just using a common Jewish saying, right? It's just a greeting people have, shalom, peace. It's like us going, hey, what's up? How you doing? I love how R.C. Sproul points out that this, this greeting of peace be with you was to draw them back to the words he left them with in the upper room the night before he died. In John chapter 14, verse 27, it says this, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give this to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be filled with doubt and fear and worry. He says this, don't let them be afraid. Why? Why? He goes, I give you peace. And he, he's reminding them. He's saying, guys, what, everything that just happened, what you just witnessed, I lived the life that you were supposed to live, a righteous life, and you couldn't do it. So what did I do? I died in your place, the death that you should have died, to pay the price for your sin. And then I rose again to conquer sin and Satan and death and yourself so that you can have peace. That Listen, our sin, our rebellion puts us at war with a holy God. And Jesus steps into that and says, but I can bring you peace. When you put your trust in the cross, in my sacrifice for you, I speak peace into this. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst of doubt, in the midst of our rebellion, Jesus comes in and says, I bring peace. And after he says that, he goes, I, I, I bring peace. He goes right after Thomas. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas. And what's he say? He says, he, he says why are you here, you faithless doubter? Where were you a week ago? I was here a week ago. What are you even doing here? What, you, man, you didn't believe me. You didn't believe these guys. You need to get out of here. No, no, what does he say? He doesn't say that. Jesus encounters Thomas's doubt. And what's he say in verse 27? Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put all your hand, place it at my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus knew his doubts. And he's saying, Thomas, I already knew what you were doubting. And, and your doubts are legit. They're real. But I have something more real for you. I love that Jesus knew his heart. Why, why do we need to be honest with our doubts? Because Jesus knows them. And in that moment, Thomas goes from doubting to worshiping. Look at verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Interesting what he says. He, he goes straight to worship. He doesn't say, oh man, my bad, Jesus. I was wrong. He doesn't say, I'm so sorry. I, you're alive. He says, my Lord and my God. He goes from doubt to a declaration of his divinity in a heartbeat. One of the clearest statements of Christ's divinity anywhere in the Bible. He says, you're the Lord. You're the Messiah. You're the king, the ruler, the judge. You're God. You're one with the Father, just like you told me. You told us that in seeing you, we would see the Father. Now I know it. Now I believe it. You see what's happening here? 
John begins this book he wrote in John chapter 1 saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus, Jesus was God. Now he's ending this book saying this with Thomas crying out, my Lord and my God. Thomas goes from a doubter to a worshiper. What, what was it that drew Thomas's heart to worship? He saw Jesus' wounds. Do you need assurance today? Look at the cross. Look at the wounds of Christ. His, his wounds tell you the story of how he had you in mind when he went to the cross. I mean, you've got questions, you've got concerns, you've got doubts. You can see from the cross where Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken so that you wouldn't have to be. He did that for us so, so we can see that. We see the wounds and go, man, man why would he not be here to, to handle my doubts then as well? I've heard this said, the only imperfect body in heaven, in eternity, is going to be Jesus. That his hands will still have the scars. His side will still have the scars. And, and for eternity, we, we will see, we'll be reminded of that's why every tear's been wiped away. That, that's why death is defeated. That's why I have an opportunity right here, right now, to be in the presence of a holy, awesome God because of those wounds. That's why me as a, as a sinner in rebellion to God could be saved and redeemed and rescued. And so for today, let me say this, see the cross again. See the wounds again in the midst of your unknown, in the midst of your doubts and fears, in the midst of the sin in your life that's drawing you in, see the cross. Now in that listen, you still need to decide if we're gonna trust him or not. Thomas responded with a full-on trust. He says, my Lord, my God. Now, if this were a Hollywood movie, it would end right here. The, the camera would do that really cool pan out and up kind of thing, right? And, and, and Jesus would be hugging Thomas. Peter would jump in and probably give Thomas a noogie, right? I knew you'd come around, right? Thaddeus would say, hey, do I get a speaking part in this story? Hey, like, I'm not in the script at all. What's going on with this, right? But here's what happened. It doesn't end here. Jesus says something so important. If it ended with Thomas seeing the wounds and believing and the room rejoicing, we'd be moved by that. But eventually we'd think, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've never got what Thomas got. I mean, good for Thomas, but I've never seen the resurrected Christ. It's in verse 29 that Jesus speaks directly to you and me. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He's saying, hey, this is the truth, Thomas. You have an advantage that so many after you will not have. He goes, but I've not left them with nothing either. Look again at verse 30. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What's he saying? 
He's saying, listen, listen, I'm not leaving the rest of you. I'm not leaving us with this irrational faith. It's not some sort of weird, hey, yeah, yeah some gold plates kind of came dropped out of heaven. And so here they are, let's believe no, Jesus is saying this is based on good evidence. John's saying, no, 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 we saw. He, he appeared to Peter and the disciples and to, to 500, more than 500 people at one time. Paul says in the book of Acts, he says, this didn't happen in a corner somewhere. It was public that Jesus was alive. It, it was recorded. It was verifiable. And so Jesus says to you and to me today, he says, don't disbelieve, but believe. So then how do we, like Thomas, go from doubters to worshipers? Well, let me leave you with three takeaways this morning. Three things to take away from this. Here's the first one. You need to fight. You need to fight. I mean, Thomas could have just walked away. But what does he do? He sticks around for eight more days. And it's, it's at that moment that Jesus shows up. Man, I can guarantee something. I could guarantee you that, that during those eight days, man, Thomas was in a battle. And I bet he felt like he was losing that fight. Maybe some of you today feel that way as well. Let, let me encourage you. Thomas stayed engaged in the battle. What does it look like for you to continue in this fight? What does it look like for you to, to hold on to the word of God? What does it look like for you to be filled with the spirit and following after Christ? What's it look like to fight? Here's a second takeaway. Continue the fight. Stay engaged in community. Stay engaged in community. Listen, I get it. Church is messy. It's, it's filled with messy people. And we have a messy church. It, it can make the fight difficult at times. But, but listen, you can't do this on your own. Thomas couldn't do this on his own. We need each other. We need others pointing us to, to Jesus when we lose sight of him. We need others reminding us of his word. We need, we need people giving testimony of God's grace and his power in the midst of the struggles and the doubts and the fears. So grab some brothers and sisters to walk in those doubts with you. And I kind of think of we're just like Moses in that battle against the Amalekites. Remember that? Where, where as long as his arms were raised up, they would be in victory. When his arms came down and the staff he was holding came down, they began to lose the battle. And just like us, Moses was weak. He couldn't keep his arms up on his own. So he had guys on either side of him holding up his arms. Man, I, I can't think of a better image than that for what it means to fight together in the Christian community. Because some days we just don't have it in us. We just don't, right? Our, our hope is tapped out and, and, and we can't sing another song about victory. It's too hard. If, if I hear one more person tell me that God is working all things out for his good, I'm gonna drop kick that person in the neck, right? But, but, but in those moments, listen, in those moments we have a choice. We either choose to isolate. We choose to leave the brothers and sisters who, who can come alongside us or we can put ourselves in the companies of others and say, listen, I can't even lift my arms right now. Would you lift them for me? Overcoming our doubts doesn't, doesn't just mean that we choose joy and everything turns out great for us. No, it's, it's staying engaged in the fight, saying I'm still pursuing after Christ. Oftentimes, listen, listen, we need help in that. Stay engaged in the community. 
Here's the last thing I want to leave with you. It's this. We see it here from this text. The key to when we encounter Christ with our doubt, to go from doubters to worshipers, to, to find that life in Christ is this. Surrender. And Thomas says, unless I touch the wounds, and then, then Jesus shows up. But look what it says here. It doesn't say that he actually touches Jesus. It's not like Thomas is like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it now. It says what? He sees him and he surrenders. And Tim Keller says it this way. He says, to be a true Christian, a real Christ follower, means we drop all of our conditions. I will believe if I, and Keller says, no, no, to be a true Christ followers, we surrender those conditions. I mean, so often we do, Jesus, listen, uh, if you do this, then I'll follow you. If, if, if you can stop this, if you can fix this, if you can heal this, if you supply this, if you insert whatever that condition is, if you do that, I'll surrender. So when we come to Christ with those conditions, those conditions, they're actually our Savior. They're our God's. There are functional saviors. We say Jesus is Lord, but we actually functionally will act as those. Those are the things that bring me hope and joy and peace. Now, now what happens in the long run, those other saviors, those conditions, they will let us down. And here's the key. Those saviors will never die for you. In fact, here's the, here's the thing. Those saviors, you'll actually eventually have to die for them. Until we say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are God, unconditionally, we're lost. So let me suggest something to you. If you're having a hard time with this idea of surrendering, the problem may not be that you don't have all your questions answered. It might be just that you're not seeing what Thomas saw. Because so often, it's not an intellectual problem. It's not a head problem. It's not even a, a theological problem. It's, it's not that, that, that we don't understand. It's that we don't want to surrender our will. When Thomas said, my Lord and my God, essentially he's saying this, I don't understand, I don't get it, but I'm not going to call the shots any longer. I mean, the disciples didn't get their questions answered. They're still in this locked room, not sure what the future's going to have. But here's what they're saying. They're saying, we're locked up in this room. Yeah, for sure. But man, we're with Jesus. We don't miss those personal pronouns in the text here. Twice Thomas used them. He says, my Lord, my God. Let me ask you this. Can you say that? Can you say he's your Lord? He's your God, because Jesus would say to you this morning, don't believe, but believe. And some of you this morning right now, you're wrestling, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're in the midst of these doubts, and God is saying, I know, I know, but I want you to fight. I want you to surrender those things to me. I, I'm going to pray for us right now. And then after I'm done praying, I want to encourage you to do this. Wherever you are, find some worship music and spend some time. Maybe for you this morning, you're going to put on some worship music and you're going to worship. You're going to engage with that because God has delivered, because God has rescued, because God has, has taken you in the midst of your doubt and brought you to that place of worship and you could just cry out and worship. Some of you though this morning, 
you're going to need to, to sit under that worship, to hear it, to listen to it, to spend some time, listen, unashamedly bringing your doubts to God. Say, God, I can't believe. Some of you, I'm going to challenge you here. This is going to be part of your fight this morning. I want to challenge you. Some of you are going to need to right now that we're done in the word. You're going to need to pick up your phone. Others of you, maybe you're on the other side. You're going, no, man, I've got this. I'm trusting in Christ. Maybe the challenge for you this morning is you pick up your phone and you call the person you know wandering in doubt, struggling in doubt. You're like, that's my thing that I got to do today. That's what Christ is calling me to today, to help lift somebody else's hands. If you're with people right now watching this, that maybe right now what you do is you share and you take some time to pray for each other, to be prayed over and prayed for, to press through the doubts, press through the shame. Take that step out. I mean, Satan right now, he's saying, no, 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 shh, be quiet. Don't reveal the doubt. Don't reveal the sin. Don't talk about the struggle. Take that first step. And if it helps you, imagine that first step being just stepping right on his mouth. Saying, shut up, Satan. I'm taking the move. I'm walking towards where hope is found. Let me pray for us. Father, we need you. We need you so desperately. God, I pray that you would create in us an honesty, an authenticity. But God, not just that we would stop there being honest in our doubts, but God, we'd have the faith and the courage and the fight to step out towards you, to see you, to fight through prayer, to be, to be filled with your spirit as your spirit fights for us, to be reminded that, that you're battling with us, empowering us to fight, that we'd be honest about our sin, we'd be honest about what else we grab a hold of as conditions to follow you, and even right now, these lesser saviors would be surrendered. So God, right now, I just pray that you would help us to surrender and to believe. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.